Good morning, everyone. And let us, let us take a look at our scriptures and speak about them. My friends, remember when we, uh, we always pray, we read the scriptures, we pray for the enlightenment to understand the word of God it is presented and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we always need to look at the context in which uh, something was written. So let us look at our first reading um, and understand, uh, putting it into its context. Um, uh, there we learn of a solemn covenant that God will make with Abram, who we know as Abraham, in which uh, the, this covenant that is being spoken of in our first reading would become the foundation of God's relationship with the people of Israel. This solemn covenant uh, was a pledge of God's fidelity and his presence. Now, there's a ritual that's made, and sometimes when we hear this in our sea readings, this third reading, people wonder about that. What is all that? What's with the cut-up animals and the birds? So let us talk about that. And uh, this ritual method was of an ancient rite that was common with the tribes of Abraham's time. And uh, in this rite, what they're doing is the two parties, remember it's a covenant, the two parties cut an animal in two, and then both parties walk between the divided parts. And as they do, they invoke the fate of the animals upon themselves should they fail to observe the terms of the covenant, of the arrangement that they're entering into. Since God's covenant with Abraham is unilateral, meaning only God, symbolized by the furnace and the torch, passes between the pieces. We are told that God puts Abram into a deep sleep. So he can't walk through. Um, because only God is going to be able to fulfill the covenant. So it's a great act of charity. Now we're, there's mention of birds of prey. And they symbolize uh, the hostile forces that will come against Israel. The covenant led, this covenant that's spoken of of Abraham leads to the covenant also at Sinai. And my friends, uh, when you came in, you'll notice there's an icon of Abraham, icon of Moses, icon of Elijah, our Old Testament uh, figures. And uh, there, would become, there would be a second covenant at Sinai uh, with Moses. And ultimately, though, the, it culminated in the new and eternal covenant, which Jesus, the Son of God, through his blood on Calvary, would seal for all time. My friends, much can be said about the Tabor experience. So Mount Tabor is what's happening in the gospel today. Uh, the experience can be said uh, for Jesus to confirm him uh, in the course that he has taken, we are told. Um, Elijah and Moses are speaking to Jesus uh, about uh, his exodus, the, what will happen. And uh, the transfiguration uh, will help the apostles um, because uh, remember, they were struggling with the idea of Jesus as the Messiah, uh, particularly when he said, I'm going to die. They're going to execute me. And uh, um, what happens in this transfiguration prepares them for what is to come. Uh, for them, it's going to be a scandal because this was an instrument of execution and torture for the worst criminals of their time. And... Um, Jesus said, they're going to do this to me. And, uh, and it fulfills the Old Testament. Remember, in the Old Testament, during his, um, Isaiah 52, 14, it says, they're going to take that one, and they're going to 
be so brutal to him that he will no longer look like a human person. Isaiah 52.14, regarding the suffering servant, the Messiah. And um, they will need to remember what they see on this mountain because then on a hill coming soon, Jesus will not look like a human anymore because of the torture and the brutality of what they did to him. St. Paul uh, is speaking to us today in the second reading. And um, my friends, again, we look, what is the context? What was going on that St. Paul was saying this to that community? Uh, and particularly, who are the enemies of the cross? That is a question we need to ask. What is, who are they? Who is Paul talking to? So in Paul's time, uh, the apostles and him had to come together to refute um, misgivings that were going on. In particular, Paul, um, there are Jewish Christians who are what we would know as missionaries that were refuting what Paul and the apostles were saying. And uh, remember, as Roman Catholics, we are Judeo-Christians. Um, what was the controversy? Those Judeo-Christians of their time, Paul's time, was saying that in order to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you had to first become a Jew. Remember, they were, they were talking to the Gentiles. And you guys know what I mean by that, right? You first had to become men. You know what I'm talking about, right? You first had to become Jewish. You had to go through that physical thing. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. And furthermore, he says, your God is in your stomach. Because they were going to put forth, remember, Gentiles could eat pork, Jews could not. And Jesus declared all food fine. So these missionaries came in and said, no, 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 they got to do it that way. <laughs> so eventually Paul and Peter and them would have to get together. So we, this is our understanding. These are the enemies of the cross of his time. They are speaking unworthily. They are saying things that are not true. They are speaking against the cross. And so Paul is adamantly fighting against it with them. And um, later I'll show you scriptures uh, for us in our time, for people, for enemies of the cross of our time, uh, how we should uh, spiritually approach this. But so my friends, we, going back to our first reading and looking, um, the first reading talks about this conversation that God has with Abram. And um, in its deepest meaning, the, that conversation tells that with Abram, who we understand now is Abraham, God begins the work of restoring humans, humanity, to the image of himself, of the divine. But that the restoration of this would not fully happen, meaning our nature being made in the image of the divine would not be complete until Jesus Christ to his resurrection. He had to have his sacrifice. And the faith of Abraham was the beginning of that restoration, however. The image of God in human beings were broken by disobedience and sin. Uh, we are reminded in Genesis chapter 1, 26, that God created man and woman in his image, meaning of his divinity, of the glory. And sin and disobedience distorted that image and took it away. 
so God got busy to restore it. So he made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham responded to the promise of God with great faith and with obedience. And when it seemed like God was asking the impossible, he remained steadfast and firm in the Lord. Remember what happens. An angel says, God says, take your son, your only one, which seems abhorrent to us. But remember, in their time, they did that. And God would begin to refute that sacrifice. Because when it came time and Abraham obeyed, the angel said, don't lay a hand on your child. Don't ever do that. And he was refuting then the child and human sacrifice of their time. So again, it's horrible sounding to us, but we understand what was happening and how God was working to refute that. Well, why didn't God just say don't do that? God says don't do a whole lot of things, but you guys are doing them. So that doesn't work, right? <laughs> Come on. Abraham never questioned or doubted God's love or his fidelity or his presence, and he gave God glory in all things. In the faith of Abraham, God found what was not in Adam. So my friends, you are the baptized ones now. You are the disciples. This is for you now. Your faith and how you live it continues the restoration of the image of God in human people that began with Abraham. So that is why it is so important about what you do and what you say. It's crucial. Abraham believed that God would bring new life into the world, and so he did. And my friends, I have to tell you, this morning I got up and I thought, I'm going to tell everyone tonight go outside and lay on the ground and look up at the stars and see the glory of God. And the newsman said, yeah, that's not happening because <laughs> it's going to rain. And I'm walking around the house, Lord, do you not like my homily? I need some cooperation with the weather. <laughs> to which, of course, my guardian angel was like, you better hush up, man. Hush up, boy. <laughs> Shh. Don't be sassing God. Remember what happened to Moses when he sassed God? <laughs> they didn't get to the promised land. However, we see uh, that uh, he was in glory nonetheless. You, the disciple today, believe that God brings new life through Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, all the way from the tomb. Because of the resurrection of Christ, the faithful disciple will rise again. The guarantee of salvation has been brought by Jesus Christ. Living in faith, then you, the baptized, perpetuate this restoration that God has begun in the image of him in the human now. And this is why when we see such destruction towards human beings, why it is so destructive, and it gets in the way of this restoration of the divine in humans. By faith, individuals cooperate with the work of restoring 
the image of God, the divine, in human people. God requires of us what he did of Abraham, faith, steadfastness. In our second reading, St. Paul calls us to be imitators of him as a faithful follower of Christ. What St. Paul meant is repeated in the invitation of the preface of our Mass. Lift up your hearts. Paul invited the Christians of Philippi to lift up their hearts to the Father. St. Paul exhorted them to imitate him in his faithfulness, in his obedience, in his perseverance, in all things. And people opposed to Paul were putting forth alternatives. As I spoke about earlier, the enemies of the cross, which he fought against. And that caused division and confusion. And in this day, such enemies of the cross also would love to confuse you and to cause division. St. Paul was an exemplar model of Christian living for his time. He spoke of the need for a constant striving of salvation. Philippians chapter 3, line 12. Our Mass invites us to lift up our hearts in all things. The celebration of the Mass is this sacramental celebration of the very Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished, the eternal covenant. In it, we are reminded of the death and resurrection of the only one, Lord and Savior, Jesus. So then we are to lift up our hearts at Mass. And furthermore, when you leave this building and you leave this Mass, you are to lift up your hearts and testify to him where you live, where you work, and where you play. We are to live with hearts uplifted, waiting for the coming of Christ. We know the salvation he brings transforms humanity. Christ will transform us with the power of his paschal mystery. And when he does, we shall be like him, as he is resplendent in glory. We must be like St. Paul, with our eyes fixed then on Jesus, standing firm in the Lord, as he said. We do this just as Jesus himself did. He stood firm. My friends, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus was praying, when he was praying, he was transformed. You have to take note of these things in the scriptures. When he was praying, he changed. Christ went up the mountain to pray. We do not know the precise nature of the prayer offered by Christ to his Father. However, if we look at Christ's history over his three years of ministry, what did he do? He prayed for you. He prayed for his disciples. So he's probably praying for the apostles because they were having a real challenge with him and what he was saying, especially about his execution and his rising from the dead, not as a ghost, not as a spirit, but bodily. That was foreign to them. 
they had great difficulty with what he was saying. So I believe Jesus prayed often for the grace the apostles needed, and particularly in that moment. And I do not miss the, the correlation. The apostles went into a deep sleep. Remember our first reading? Abraham went to a deep sleep. On the mountain, they fell asleep, but they were awakened just in time. And of course, we're told they were afraid when they saw that cloud. You guys know what the cloud is called, right? It's not a rain cloud like in Seattle, in the Pacific Northwest. Shekinah. It, remember from the book of Exodus, there was a cloud by day and at night that stayed with them. It meant the presence of God. So they wake up and they're afraid. I have my personal opinions, which have no place here at this ambo, about what they are afraid of. So I'm not going to say. <laughs> lest my guardian angel beat me up when I get home. <laughs> but Jesus prayed for the grace for his followers. On this occasion, while in prayer, we are told Jesus is transformed and his physical changes happened. And the effects of this prayer, while he was praying, these took place. That tells us that prayer has power. That tells you that prayer has an effect. And sometimes we get so beaten up by the world. Why do I bother? He's not listening. That's a terrible attitude. Keep the prayers going. The apostles glimpsed Jesus as they had never seen him before. And their lives were transformed from that moment on. Things would not be perfect, but their lives were transformed. For us, prayer transforms our lives. Suffering is dignified by prayer. Prayer keeps our souls strong in the face of challenge. Prayer elevates the mind to the divine ideals. Weak faith can become strong then with prayer. The discouraged person takes new heart when he prays or she prays. Prayer offers the soul a divine consolation when we suffer loss. In prayer, the human heart opens to God. In prayer, the human heart can be filled with the very presence of God. Prayer produces peace in our human heart. And no matter how hidden you may feel that God is, when you pray, He is revealed to you in your prayer. My friends, I laughed uh, when, I was, when I read this because on the one hand, Peter, as he normally does, he's, oh, we're going to build tents. Well, there's an Old Testament piece to that. In the Exodus, they were living in the tents, so he knows, he's remembering. And he would also remember Moses' face shone, so he would cover it up. And they would have understood, uh-oh, this is different. Jesus, not only his face, but his whole body is glowing. So there's something different. And then, oh, by the way, there are two really good friends of God present. Moses and Elijah. Did you hear what it said? They were in glory. That means they're alive. They're not dead. Very much alive. So I can only imagine Peter, what he must have been thinking. The first thing he thinks of is, let's build some tents and stay here. And I get it. It was peaceful on the mountain. <laughs> That's why the scripture says, but he didn't know what he was saying. 
he had, they had to go back down. And I know how we feel, especially now with such madness going on in Eastern Europe. We just want to stay where the peace is. Hmm? So we pray. We pray for peace. Peace in Central Europe and Eastern Europe. On all the people. The Ukraine people. No more brutality. To the Russian people. Peace. Let the leaders come together and speak peace. So we must do what St. Paul says, stay firm in the Lord, pray. Do not let anything overcome you. But even better, to do what the Father said on the mountain. This is my son. Obey him. Listen to him. Do what he says. My friends, the lesson for us, the disciples of Jesus Christ, can hardly be different then. And certainly we will have to accept our cross. Certainly we will have to walk and stand firm in faith in imitation of Jesus. The cross then must come first. It is a prelude to a share in his glory and in the inheritance of eternal life. In the transfiguration, we learn the meaning that there is another level to our Christian lives. There is a dimension that is yet to be known and understood. I'm talking about the resurrection. And that is going to be a glorious one. What happened to Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration will happen to those who faithfully follow Jesus. We saw right in the gospel, there is Moses... And there is Elijah in glory. One day, being faithful and walking in holiness, we shall be forever transformed also. We will be utterly changed. But we must be attentive to the words of the Father. This is my Son. Listen to him. And we know Jesus is the only begotten of God from all time. But Jesus told his followers, when you pray, say, Father. So we are now, because of Christ, the adopted children. Your parents. Parents only want what is good for their children. They only want their happiness and their joy. They want them to have fullness of life. And Jesus went on to say, if you who are not perfect can give your children what is good, will not the Father in heaven who is perfect do much more? So what is it that the Father wants to give you? Happiness in this world? Mm, maybe. I'm not saying you won't have it, but that's not what it, what is the Father going to give you? It's in the scriptures. Glory. Eternal life. And I'm not talking about quantity. I'm talking about quality. So we wait for that time. But we do not wait doing nothing. We pray. We act like Christians in the way that Paul tells us and Peter and the apostles tell us and the way Christ lived it. We do that now. 
to continue that restoration, that image that we had from the beginning time. Hmm? My friends, um, my father has too much coffee in the morning. <laughs> he goes through these things, and I thought, okay, enemies of the cross, enemies of the cross. And sometimes we get so beaten up by the enemies of the cross. But in Thessalonians, second letter of Thessalonians, in the first chapter, it says, this is evidence of the just judgment of God, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering now. Paul's talking about us. For it is surely just on God's part to repay with afflictions those who afflict you because of him and to grant rest along with us to you who are undergoing afflictions now at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in blazing fire inflicting punishment on those who do not acknowledge God and on those who do not obey the gospel of his only begotten one. Later in that second chapter, 1 through 8, Paul pleads, we ask you, please, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our assembling with him, not to be shaken out of your minds. Don't have emotional breakdowns about the world and what it does. Or to be alarmed either by spirit. I don't have time to get into this with you guys, what that means, because you'll be angry because we'll be here till this afternoon. Or by any oral statement or by letting a letter allegedly from us, because there were people lying, to the effect of that day of our Lord, that it was past. He's talking about the Purusha, the second coming. Let no one deceive you in any way. Pick up your Bibles and read it. What you need is here. What you need is here. And in this time when the world seems to be out of control, as it was back in Jesus' time, we find our strength and stand firm in the Lord. Amen?